you are listening to Black Star Docs, a collective of female physicians of African descent coming together to share knowledge from our various medical specialties as well as from life. Listen in as we have real and relatable discussions on health, wellness, and lifestyle in a way only us ladies can do. Follow us on Instagram at Black Star Docs and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. Cheers. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to you wherever you are. Thank you so much for joining another exciting episode of the Black Star Docs podcast. My name is Dr. Bernice Edijemfi. I'm an internal medicine physician in Houston, Texas, and I'll be one of your hosts for this episode. Yes, I'm so excited to be joining Bernice. I'm Dr. Nana Bawachi. I'm the dermatologist in the group, and I am so excited to be on, I guess, on stage, right? (laughs) With Dr. Obang. So thank you. All right. It is such an honor for us to have with us today a plastic surgeon, world-renowned surgeon extraordinaire. He is a celebrity plastic surgeon. He is a Harvard-trained, is it microvascular surgeon? He will go ahead and, you know, tell us a little bit more about himself. But I just wanted to toot his on a little bit. You may have heard about him from the recent Gorilla Glue issue. Well, we have him here, none other than Dr. Michael Obeng. He might be a celebrity plastic surgeon to you all, but he's my big brother. Thank you, Dr. Obeng, for making time out to join us today. Thank you very much, Dr. Effie and Dr. Boche. It's an honor and truly privilege uh, to join you guys on this uh, podcast. My name is Michael Kelbane. I'm a board-certified plastic surgeon in Beverly Hills, uh, born and raised in Ghana. And yes, Bernice is my little sister. I've, I've known her since she was a little baby, you know, and now she's all growing up, a mother, a beautiful mother, a wonderful physician, and a great, great, great wife. It's an honor to be here, to join you guys, to talk about some of the issues that you guys, uh, you know, mean to tackle today. So thank you. Thank you. So I wanted to ask you, so you grew up in Ghana, right? Why medicine? What actually motivated you to decide to go into medicine? So growing up in Ghana, I grew up in Ghana. I was raised by my grandmother. My grandmother had high blood pressure and diabetes. So almost every week we go to the doctor. You know, I saw that medicine was so cool. And um, one of the doctors who motivated me, who inspired me to get into medicine was Dr. Asafu Jane. And it was one of the main guys, you know, main guys, well, you know. In, yeah. Bernice might remember him, probably remember, mm-hmm. his, remember him, remember his kids. But, you know, we always used to go there at least two times a month. Um, and it was cool. When I got sick, I'll go there too. But, you know, one thing that people don't realize that Dr. Asafu J was a trained gynecologist and obstetrician. But, you know, to, when you practice medicine in the serve area, you, you pretty much do it all. Yes. He was my first inspiration to medicine. And actually, I had the opportunity to see him on a flight. I was recently in Ghana about four, four years ago, three or four years ago. And I had the opportunity to see him at the airport from Accra to Kumasi. And I, I thanked him for inspiring me to become a doctor. And uh, with that, he, he was the first guy I saw and I thought it was cool. He drove a Mercedes. I said, wow, this is pretty cool. I like that. 
that was my inspiration. And of course, being around my grandmother all the time and the suffering that she had to go through. And I thought that the least I can do is learn about medicine so I can take care of sick people. Wow, that is awesome. And it's interesting that even for me going into medicine, you know, I think along the line, you became my mentor and you mentored me through. So we always, we all need a mentor. People might not know, but man, Dr. Obeng, when he was at UTMB in Galveston for his medical school and residency, he was basically the one who was, um, who mentored me along because I saw him, I wanted to do what he did. So that's awesome. You and your family pretty much took me. You know, coming to Galveston, you guys were my only family. And I remember kind of every, every side I was at your house watching SNL, you know, me eating chicken and biscuits. <laughs> a great show <laughs> <laughs> but but it's true right but even going back if you recall even in Ahojo where we grew up we lived across from your uncle's house where you were living and you and my brothers were like you know brothers and you went to secondary school together you even became my tutor yep yeah but I remember why wow, you remember that like eight years old but you know and a lot of people don't know because your father was like the pillar of the community uh, mr dark and your mom you know the matriarch of the whole neighborhood and the may have so rest in peace uh you know without your father i don't think i'll, I'll even be here without your family because a lot of people don't realize that coming here and i don't know if you know that but i remember my uncle had promised to buy my ticket and uh when the day came mm-hmm. on he had uh, 1100 and i said sure thank you and i went to your dad because my other uncle was in the States. So I went to your dad and your dad took the money and called your, your uncle in our crowd, his brother, to buy my ticket, uh, to buy my ticket to come to America, which I think was about uh, 1340. And I'm going to try to give it a thousand. So without him supplementing with $340, I'll probably still be stuck in and, uh, you know, I always thank you whenever I see him. And, of course, without your brothers and you guys supporting me, I would not be here. You know, Jonathan has been, of course, my brother. I love him to death. And uh, Brandon, Sam, the whole crew. And so I want to thank you for that. And I always thank your dad. Uh, without him, I would not be here. Without him, a lot of people would not be where they are in life. So mm. thank and God for using your family to bless other people. Thank you. And now, and now you are using your talents to bless everyone. Yeah, I think that's like a testament to our culture, right? How, mm-hmm. you know, it's a village. And as a village, we raise everybody. It's not just about your family and that's it, but you take care of everybody else. And so it, it's, a, it's a beautiful story that you have just laid out. And hopefully people can remember that, that we, you know, we always have to make sure that we give back and we raise other people so that way they have other opportunities. Absolutely. No, it takes- yes, that's so true. I would say it takes a village. It takes a village. I'm here today because of uh, the Air Force of the entire village. And uh, of course, your father introduced me, my family to Christianity. And I remember being at Royal Rangers, you know, in, oh, in wow. you know, the memories go back since I was nine. And you were probably about, you were young. <laughs> you were young, but <laughs> so far, you know, so further along. So God is good. You know, the mm-hmm. Lord Almighty. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. So I think my question, my next question was, so plastic surgery, was there a particular reason why you picked plastic surgery? So, you know, so just like being introduced to medicine by Dr. Asafwa J, plastic surgery, I first saw plastic surgery in Ghana. I heard about it when I was about 12, 13. I don't remember quite the time, but uh, you might be too young to remember, but your brothers know. And there was a guy named Joe Tex in our neighborhood. 
Mm-hmm. It takes, let's see, Goldust. He had a sister named Goldust who lives in New York right now. I haven't seen Joe Tex since I left Ghana in 1993. But Joe Tex was much older than us, okay? And they lived, you know, Mr. Prempe, next to King's Hotel. Mm-hmm. Living at that house, a house or two next to King's Hotel, going towards the uh, bank. But Joe Tex had a sister who, a uh, boyfriend or partner, had poor acid on her face. Mm. He did not come out that much. She did not come out. And I always asked her, she was so pretty, be beautiful lady, of course. And uh, after they saw a freak acid attack, uh, she became a recluse. And one day I saw her, I said, why your sister? I thought you said your sister was me. She looks so like this. Oh, I appreciate your smile. You know, I said, what's that? So they come from the U.S. They come and do plastic surgery. And that's how she has this beautiful. I said, wow, this is pretty cool. I want to do this when I grow up. That was the first time I heard Sorry, to the Primper family, Joe Tex. And mm-hmm. Joe Dust and I, we talk from time to time. I haven't spoken to anybody here. But Joe Dust, remember, and she always tells me, you know, remember my sister, that's of course, without her, I'll probably not be, not be in the career that I'm in. But that was mm-hmm. the first Ever since I said, wow, this is pretty mm-hmm. cool. I started secondary school at Primper College. I knew I wanted to be a surgeon, you know, from now. So I guess I started at 12. But I knew I wanted to be a surgeon. So yes, it was about 12 around that time. But, you know, I knew I wanted to be a medicine since I was about nine years old, you know, when I first met Dr. Asafuji, when I moved to Adiababa from Ashtown. Mm-hmm. So that was, that's the journey, that's the surgery. And then fast forward, when I had the opportunity to come here and then go to Galveston, where, you know, they have the biggest Burns Institute, uh, you know, that was the first Shrinus Burns Institute uh, in the U.S., was placed in Galveston. Thanks to Dr. Truman Blocker, who uh, after the World War uh, swayed everybody, saying, you know, well, put your hospital here because I have a lot of experience taking care of burn victims because of my experience in World War. That's how the Shriners in Galveston came about. And of course, you know, to have the opportunity to go to medical school there. And uh, at, the second, at the conclusion of second year, I walked, I asked a friend of mine, I said, how do I become a plastic surgeon? I said, go talk to the chairman the chief of plastic surgery. I go there and I go to the chief of plastic surgery at the time, well, I mean, this is still Dr. Linda Phillips, you know, who is one of the most powerful female plastic surgeons, one of the most powerful plastic surgeons in the world. And of course, being a woman in a, in a, a very heavily dominant world, you know, she has been a pillar. In the, but when I went to go talk to her, it was difficult to get an appointment with a, with a chairman of plastic surgery or a chief of plastic surgery. So somebody said, go talk to the other chief, but they met the chief resident who happened to be a black guy, Dr. Spence. So Dr. Spence was chief. I was a second year medical student about to take my step one. And uh, he was able to introduce me to Dr. Uh, Dr. Phillips, uh, Linda Phillips. And Dr. Phillips looked at my grades and said, okay, your grades are okay. I say, it's not, it doesn't make you stand out. Everybody has good grades. You have to do something to set yourself aside. So go talk to a guy named David Herndon. Dr. Herndon happened to be the chairman or chief of uh, surgery, uh, Burns, uh, the director of Burns at the Shriners. And he was a very well-accomplished investigator. So I went and talked to Herndon. And of course, Herndon and Phillips, they both changed my life. When I went to talk to Herndon, he was so receptive. Herndon said, so this was third year. Herndon said, when can you start? (laughs) The day I went to talk, he said, want to start today? I said, yes, sir. You know, so as soon as I talked, I was already in the medical records we're doing chart review. And he paired me up with a guy named uh, Dr. Hart, who was uh, a general surgery resident and had taken some time out to do research because he wanted to do cardiothoracic surgery. So he was a very prolific writer. So between the two of us, Dr. Phillips, and then at the time, the chief of plastic surgery at the shrine was a black guy, uh, Dr. McCauley, who happened to be one of my mentors. 
and uh, may he still rest in peace. He just passed away last year during COVID. But uh, he was very funny because uh, he prided himself as being the, f- the only black plastic surgeon in academia with tenure. And, you know, he's like, I'm the only person you know, who, who is tenure, tenure professor in plastic surgery in America. So, you know, I had great mentors around me. And with, between Dr. Phillips, Dr. McCauley, uh, Dr. Herndon, taking me under his wings in the research realm, uh, I was able to get a little more competitive. And thanks to Dr. Herndon, I also was able to get an NIH grant as a medical student. When I was a fourth-year medical student, the beginning of fourth year, the NIH came up with a, a research grant called the NIH Mental Medical Research Award, trying to uh, encourage people, plastic I mean, and, and, and medical students to get into academia. You know, and it came with whatever you apply for, you get it. So I applied, I was able to get 37,000. 17,000 went to the project, 20,000 went into my pocket. But that has been my experience mm-hmm. with learning. That is so impressive. I mean, it's so amazing that, you know, you were at the right place at the right time, meeting the right people, right? I think that that's a testament to all of our specialties. Like if someone takes you under your wing and then they just get you right into the right place. I mean, being in dermatology, as you know, with uh, as plastic surgery, it's very, very competitive. So you just have to make sure you have the right mentors in place in order to, and, you know, and then obviously God just yep, puts God. everything together and then, yep, and then that's that. Thanks to Bernice. So Bernice, I remember when I applied for the NIH grant, I remember one Sunday I was with your family. We went to church. Right. I'm quiet when I go to try to ask for, you know, praise. But that day I remember, you know, your dad was me, your dad, your mom, and your whole family. Your dad was Italian for your mom and dad. And we went to that church in Houston, I think, uh, not too far from Clear Lake, where you guys used to go to church, or where your parents were in town, for praise. Because I said, God, I need your help, but if I can get this grant, it will change my life. And it was uh, the decision time. And if made one first round of decision, I didn't get funded the first time. So I stopped, I would not stop praying. And I remember that Sunday, your dad was praying for me at church. I think he preached that day and the whole church prayed. And that was the result of me getting my NIH grant. After I got my NIH grant, I remember Dr. Phillips asking me to apply to all the plastic surgery programs. At the time, there were 89 plastic surgery programs in the, in the nation. Yeah, I think it was 89. And 40 of them would take you directly from medical school. So I applied to all the, those 40 programs. And... Dr. Phillips also told me to apply to general surgery for backup just in case I don't get in. I don't have to stay home. So I also applied to about 20, 20 general surgery programs. And when I got my NIH grant, Dr. Phillips said, hey, I don't think you need general surgery anymore. I think you're going to be fine. And that was true. You know, I, I ended up matching in Galveston. I interviewed, of the 40 programs I applied to, or 38 programs, I, was, I got about 13, no, no, I got 16 interviews. 16 interviews, I did 13 of them. And uh, including Stanford. Stanford actually was my favorite program at the time. But Gavison, I've become home. I've had a son, Maxwell. So I wanted to stay close. And, uh, you know, when I went to Stanford to interview uh, the guy named Dr. Chang, Dr. Chang said, wow, I can just hire you as faculty right now. I've done so much research as a brain, and brain's in it. And now I had an NIH grant. And, you know, he made me feel very good, you know, very good about myself. That I was comparative enough now that I don't have to. So I never did any of the general surgery interviews. Of all the 20 I applied to, I got 20 for 20, including, yeah, every, everywhere I did not, I did not have a, an integrated plastic surgery program. I got to, but I never went to any single general surgery. And the, rain, the Lord continues to bless me. Oh, that's fantastic. What an amazing story. I'm blessed just to hear be in your presence right now. My goodness. Jeez. You guys, you guys, <laughs> Bernice. I need you, to, guys, you need to adopt me. 
me into this family. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. This is just so great, Dr. Obeng. I mean, these are stories nobody knows about. And I think, again, to reiterate what Dr. Boache said, the importance of mentorship, number one. And prayer is so important. We, we tend to think it's only through our own abilities that we're able to accomplish what we accomplish. But in life, you need so much. You need more than just your own knowledge or your understanding. You need friends. You need family. You need that support. You need mentorship. So I think we have learned so much about that, even just in this you know, episode. Absolutely. You know, mentorship, okay? God, putting God first. You know, a lot of time, you know, and, you know, of course, your brothers would know, but it has become, you know, it's become a, a journey that I can't even fathom. How God, it wasn't by my strength or by my might or how smart I was. Everything has been by the grace of God. You know, from the time I get a visa, because, you know, I, I was smart. I can take a test, I'll pass. You know, it takes more than passing. Because everybody's smart. For me to be able to, I call it escape from Ghana at the time, because, you know, when you're not wealthy in Ghana, it's really tough. It's really tough to climb up the, the ladder. And uh, I remember, I remember even for me to get a visa, it was a far stretch. You know, God was so good to me. I remember going to the American embassy and they said, everything looks good. Now, now we have to wait on your bank statement. You know, and a friend of mine had given me a bank statement. The bank was in the rural areas and they couldn't get a response. So I had to go to the bank myself. And as a manager, I was able to get a statement myself and mail it to our crowd and then take the, the the bus to follow up on it, you know. And just the day that I got my visa, I remember I got my visa. I think, was, I think Jonathan was in Ghana. But when I came back, I only told two people, Ben Smith. You remember Ben Smith? James. So he was my best friend. When your brother left Ghana, James became my we all brothers. So three of us, three musketeers. And Jonathan had left, so it was me and Ben Smith. And when I came, that's the only person I told. And you wouldn't believe where I kept the passport. I kept the passport in my underwear. I was like, I'm not even letting this, I'm not even letting this passport disappear. I said, I put it into my underwear. I told my grandmother and I told Ben Smith, I went to my uncle in Obwasi to go get the money. Then I came back. I don't think I was in Ghana more than a week when I got my visa. I said, I'm getting out of here. But I also was very close to the opening of school. So I was supposed to be, school started, I think, August 22nd. And I got here on uh, August 21st. You know, August 21st was a Saturday. I felt like I had arrived in heaven. You know, my uncle had hosted me in Virginia, Fairfax, yeah. So I went up there and it was just one of those incredible moments, you know, to go have, you know, you have food everywhere, meat everywhere, chicken, fish. I was like, wow, I'm in heaven, you know. And then, of course, by when I came, I didn't have the money to go to school because, you know, even though they gave me a scholarship, I still had to come up with $15,000. I thought I could come up with $15,000 by working. I didn't know that there was something called taxes and, and all that. You know, you, you as a child or as a young adult, you think, oh, okay, yeah, I come to America, I make $5 an hour. I would save all my money. I work 20 hours. You know, you forget about sleep. You know, you're so excited to come. And when I arrived, you know, reality set in. Of course, I was working the first week already. And my first job was working at a commercial. I mean, my first job was working at Mediterranean Bakery in D.C., making pita bread. Pita bread, you know, and then after that, I got a second job at the African grocery store cutting meat. And when I was growing up, of course, Bernice, you know, my grandmother was my favorite person in the world. And I did not like meat. That when she, she would send me to Mayanka, which is where they, they buy the meat, I would not, I didn't want to go because the flies on me and it's just, and for me to come to America working, 
cutting meat, things I don't even, I would not even eat meat. I never got to eat meat. I didn't eat, I, I love pork. I love pork and chicken and fish, but I did not eat beef until, until medical school, I think. It was the first time I ate beef in America. But, you know, as the story has, you know, working, one of my, my least favorite jobs was cutting the meat. And one day a lady came to a Ghanaian, it was a, the, the grocery store was owned by a Cerulean guy. But one day a Ghanaian lady came in and she made me cry that. Uh, she said, Abrantia, you know, I'm fatal. You know, and for those of you who understand, it's like, you know, gentlemen, you know, this job doesn't suit you. And that was like the, one of my lowest moments in life that, you know, for me to come to America and do something that I would never, you can't even pay me enough to do it in Ghana. But that tells you that when you have a dream and you have a goal, you will do whatever it takes, okay, uh, to get to where you are. So it has been an incredible journey. And, you know, I always thank God and all the people around you, including yourself the family, and all my well wishes to be where I am today. And I know that you guys are Dr. Boichi and Dr. Jeff. I don't know your journey. I know Bernice very well. But to also get to where you are, like you said, you know, dermatology is one of the most competitive, if not a competitive specialty in plastic, I mean, in, uh, in medicine. And we call it vacation. I remember my co-residents in dermatology, they used to have block time to go study. They used to bring their kids to the clinic. I said, wow, how do you get block time in residency to go read, to go study? But that tells you, that gives the, the testament of how, how great the specialty is, you know, and that's what makes it so competitive. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's interesting that you mentioned that that lady made you cry because what I gathered from that story when you first arrived in Virginia and you were working as a, in the bakery and then you were cutting meat is that you are skilled at your hands. So that's <laughs> what I was thinking that you were going to get to. And I, and I guess now, since we're talking about your skilled hands, you know, I recently came across, Bernice was sharing me about one that you do, you ha- you're Harvard trained in microvasculature, and then you reattach some fingers. I mean, tell me about that experience. So, you know, you, you know, Dr. Dr. Boyd, you're funny. So my friends, my friends who are close to me, they say, oh, you are such a booster because you used to cut meat. You know, you used to work at the, you as a butcher. But, you know, I, didn't, I don't remember. Okay, I like, I, I'm good. I guess I'm good with my hands. But my aunt was telling me, that this is an aside, that when I was a kid, and I don't know, I have to ask my friend, I don't remember that. She knew that I was going to do something in my hand. Like I would catch, catch frogs and try to dissect the frogs, but I don't remember. I don't recall that. But back to your question, <laughs> you know, working there was really good. I learned a lot. I learned a lot with my hands. And uh, of course, good eye hand coordination, because if you made a mistake, you were going to cut your finger. You have the saw that comes in, so you have to be very fast. And the two guys in front of me, because it was brand new, those guys had cut their fingers before. With that machine. That machine was a very dangerous machine. I was very, very, very cautious not to hurt myself. But back to my question, the, the most difficult surgery or the most complex surgery I ever did was reattaching four fingers, which took me 20 hours at Mass General Hospital. And you know, as a fellow, basically a fellow and a junior attendant, that's how the fellowship is, uh, is structured. So you go in, and I remember taking the fellowship, they asking me, hey, this is not we're not going to spoon feed you. We have the patience. Your, your job is to come and make the best out of yourself. So I said, fellow, you walk in, you credential as a junior attendant, so you don't need an attendant to, to book your case. And basically, it was one of the most difficult fellowships because I was on call every other night for hand, every other night. And I gave about 52 lectures every Tuesday I run the hand conference. And it was out of here because to come from to come from Galveston, Texas and to go to Harvard, of course, everybody okay, do do you belong here? You know, okay, you're a big black guy, you know, you did not you don't have the pedigree, you know, you didn't come from you know, you didn't come from Harvard, you didn't come from Princeton, you didn't come from Yale, Brown. So they look at you, say, How did you even get here? 
And, you know, and that's also a different story, how I even got to Harvard, because, you know, that's a difference. But when I was there, I remember my first rip plan. I was, uh, what do you call that, that Chinese chain that everybody said? I was there having the Benny, Benny Hannes. Uh, what's the other one called? I can't but anyway, I was there having... P.F. Chang? P.F. Chang. dinner, and uh, I get a phone call from a PGY2, Matthew. You know, Indian kid, Matthew. Dr. Matthew was a PGY2 from Hopkins. Very smart guy. He calls me. He was on first call. He's like, hey, doctor, we have a, we have a rib plant. That's okay. I said, what's the, tell me. It didn't tell. It's an avulsion injury. I said, just put it in the trash. <laughs> I said, you know, where I came from, in Galveston, if you have an avulsion injury, okay, amputation avulsion injury, of course, if you, the literature also tells you that the success rate is not good. Because the veins and you know, the vessels have been stripped, the, you know, the, the intima, the intima of the blood vessels are ripped off and you can't. So I told him to put in the trash. The question, you know, people are motivated. He said, my junior said, Dr. Obin, this is Mass General Hospital. We put everything back on. So now he puts me on the spot. If I don't show up, I'm going to get in trouble on Monday. And I'm going to get in trouble on Monday that we called you for a rip plan. You refused to do a rip plan because of all genetics. And of course, they like to tell on you because you know, it's okay. This guy that you belong here. But I was able to go in with him, a PGY2 who had no experience in microsurgery. He assisted me. We were able to put it on. I did not do a vein. I was able to do one vessel. Then <laughs> I did not do a vein. And of course, if you don't do a vein, you have to either take the nail plate off and put a hose into the nail bed for egression of blood so that it doesn't get congested. And of course, you know, the literature shows that Leeches also help. So we ordered leeches. I put the guy in the warm room. The next day, on Tuesday, I think it was a Monday, on Tuesday, I had conference, Dr. May, who was my, who was the chairman, and also the director, my director, and one of the most accomplished surgeons in the world. He was on the team of the first successful replantation in America in 1963. So that's how, that's how accomplished he is. And, it, you know, people, we, we, we are, we're afraid of him. So Dr. May comes to our conference and they said, Michael, I heard you did a rip plan yesterday and you did not do a vein. How do you expect that to work? This is coming from like, you know, the, the most comprehensive surgery in America at the time. And I look at it and say, doctor, I prayed about it. As I prayed and I took the nail plate and I put leeches. He said, yeah, that's what the literature said. I've been, in my 40 years of experience, I've never seen one worked without doing a vein. So now I'm freaking out. I said, oh God, I'm going to get fired. So fast forward, patient is in the hospital and Every time we take the leech out, post up day three, we take the leech out, we let it rest, and then the, the time get congested. And the guy, after five days, you know, being in a room that was so warm because we have to keep the room warm so that the, the vessels don't go into spasm. He said, I'm tired. I don't care about my thumb anymore. I just want to get me. I said, please don't leave. I'm going to get fired if this doesn't work. So, you know, the guy was <laughs> four years old. I remember him from New Hampshire. He was so nice, like, I'm just going to stay one more day. I said, just stay one more day for me. So post-op day six or so, he's like, I'm done. I said, one more day. So seven, we discharged him. He came to clinic a week later, and the thumb was still intact. It was pink. So I went to get Dr. May. I said, Dr. May, I would like to do something. He comes with me. He said, you know what? I don't know who your God is. But <laughs> no, no, this is who I've seen it all. He told me that he was able to go examine a replant that was done in China after keeping the, the amputated part on eyes for three days for travel. And he did not believe that it worked. So he went to China to go examine that patient to make sure that the Chinese were telling the truth. And he tells me that, you know, I don't know who your God is, but whoever, I've never seen one working 40 years of my experience. And 
you know, I said, God must really love you. I said, yes, indeed. So, you know, God has been good to me. And of course, I did a four-digit replant, which took me 20 hours. And 20 hours, why? Because every time the index finger was put back on, it would go back to spasm. So here am I, I said, okay, I don't want to get fired. I said, I'm going to keep going. So after the 20th hour, Dr. May comes in the room and says, Michael, sometimes, you know, in a war, in a battle, you have to sometimes retrieve and come back and fight another day. I say, you know, there were four fingers. You were able to do three. If I were you, all of the day. I said, thank God. <laughs> Believe I can leave. <laughs> but, you know, the, the Lord has been so good to me. And, of course, uh, you know, I, I've done, when I went to private practice, uh, you know, in a community hospital where a patient came in with uh, a forearm amputation, a 17-year-old kid who sustained a, a minor sore injury. And I remember calling one of my mentors, Joe Upton, Joe Upton said, Michael, if you can put this back by yourself, you're going to be a star. You know, I was so nervous. And of course, you know, I had the team around me. We were able to replant it. And now the kid is, has this uh, you know, functioning arm hand. And, I, you know, he was even cleared to go play college soccer. So God is good. Sandra wow. Obang, you are, you are amazing. Amazing. Well, and I think what tells you that one that you are patient, you persevere, you're in, you stick with your, your internal gut tells you to say, you know, let's just keep going. Let's just keep going. And I, and I love that. And I hope that if there are any budding surgeons who are listening to this, that they remember those words. You have been listening to Black Star Docs. Thank you for joining us. We hope that we made your day a bit brighter and better. Please remember to subscribe so that you never miss an episode and follow us on all of our social media platforms at Black Star Docs.